Welcome to the Pursuing Faith Podcast, where we explore questions of faith, doubt, and life. I am your host, Dominic Doan. Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Pursuing Faith. Today, I am super excited to announce the official release of my new book. It's called Your Longing Has a Name. And this is a book about how our soul can flourish in difficult times. You see, your soul is everything. If your soul is flourishing, then nothing you go through can destroy you. But if your soul is crumbling, nothing you go through can heal you. The health of your soul shapes the outcome of your life. So how can we experience a healthy soul? How how can our soul flourish? That's the question that I tackle in this book. And in it, I reveal seven beautiful gifts that God has given you for the deepest part of you to thrive and to discover its purpose. So you can check it out right now. It's online, uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Audible, Kindle, uh, or you can go to our website, pursuingfaith.org. Now, if you've been tracking with our podcast, you know that a huge focus of ours has been looking at doubt, deconstruction, and engaging with thorny and difficult questions. We've kind of had an apologetic approach, looking at things like science, uh, has science buried God, or suffering, why is the world so broken? Uh, We've talked about the Bible and did a whole mini-series on that. How do we read the Bible? How do we understand the Bible? What about the weird parts of the Bible? But in this new season, what I want to do is explore the opposite side of doubt. I, I want to unpack this notion of faith. What is faith? H- how can our faith grow? How can our faith thrive? I, I want to explore the connection between faith and our soul and what it means for our soul to flourish in any and every season. You see, Jesus, he said in the Gospel of John, he said, if you believe in me, out of your innermost being, your soul will gush forth torrents of living water. Or in Psalm chapter one, it's very similar language. It says that when we believe in God, when we delight in God, our soul is like a tree that's planted by those rivers that thrives in any season. In 3 John chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Beloved, I pray that in every way you may prosper, as your soul also prospers. Now, these are beautiful verses, but what do they look like in real life? How does that engage with our careers, our families, our thought life, our practices, our spiritual health, our soul health? How do we understand these promises of God? Now, I think a good place for us to start today is just to think about the word soul. What is soul? When you hear the word soul, what for you comes to mind? Now, if you were to just go out on the streets and ask the average person, what is a soul? I think most people kind of have this Pixar version in their head. If you saw the movie Soul last year, remember you have these bodies and then out of the body came these 
neon kind of digital two-dimensional lines that represented soul. It's a very platonic movie, by the way. And, And that's most people's notion that the soul is the invisible part of you that lives when your physical body dies. Or you think about that prayer. Uh, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take, which that prayer has always cracked me up because it's kind of disturbing to say to your kids at night, good luck, you might die, sweet dreams. <laughs> then we wonder why our kids need therapy, Right. So I I think that's probably the most common cultural perception of soul is that it's somehow the invisible part of you. Uh, Maybe you associate it with like a, a music genre like blues, pop, rap or jazz or soul. Or we use the word in relationships. We might say she is my soulmate or in leadership. He's the soul of the NFL team. Or in ethics, if someone's really, really bad, what do we say? They have no soul. So we have all these different kinds of understandings of soul, but what does the Bible say about soul? Now, let's dig into this because it's really fascinating and we'll discover the biblical idea of soul is so much more profound and beautiful, actually, than how our culture understands it. The word soul In the Hebrew language, now Hebrew, of course, is the language of the Old Testament. It's the word nefesh. And this is a word that's found 700 times in the Old Testament alone. And it means a variety of things. Um, It can be translated as life, self, person, desire, appetite, emotion, passion. Uh, I like this definition. Your soul or your nefesh is the deepest part of you that influences and shapes the entirety of who you are. Dallas Willard, who has written quite a bit on the health of the soul, he he defines it this way. He said, the soul is that aspect of your whole being that correlates, integrates, and enlivens everything going on in the various dimensions of the self. The soul, he said, is the life center of human beings. You see, the fact that you have a soul is what sets you apart from the animal world. I mean, you look at a plant, it's alive, it grows, it reproduces, but it doesn't have a soul. A person though, a human has a soul. Why? Because they have this need, this desire to connect with their soul's source, to connect with their creator. Um, There's this Old Testament scholar, Hans Walterwarf. He said that the word nefesh can be defined as needy man. (laughs) Or if you think of that movie, What About Bob? I need, I need, I need. You see, what makes you you, what makes you different from the animal world is that you need God. You, You have a longing for God. You have a thirst for God. Like Psalm 63 says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul, my nefesh, thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Every person has a longing for God. And our soul's infinite capacity to need is a reflection of God's infinite capacity to give, which means your soul won't be satisfied 
until we find rest in God. This is why Jesus said, come to me when you're weary and heavy laden and you will find rest for your soul. Your soul is the deepest part of you that longs to be with God. As I said earlier, if your soul is healthy, then nothing you go through can destroy you. Your soul influences and shapes everything else in your life. Do you realize everything's connected to the health of your soul? Relationships, sexuality, your thought life, your character, your habits, your decisions. It is all connected to the health of your soul. Again, you think of a tree. You have branches and leaves and and fruit. They're all interconnected, but whether or not that tree flourishes depends on the health of the roots of the tree. Your soul is like that tree. And that is why what we're about to unpack in this season is so vital because protecting, nourishing, cultivating the health of your soul makes or breaks everything. The health of your soul, it's not just something we can ignore or trivialize because if something is broken inside of you, that's going to impact you. It's going to have a ripple effect into every area of your life. Our soul is like a stream of water, which gives strength, direction, and harmony to every other area of our life. When that stream is as it should be, we are constantly refreshed and exuberant in all we do because our soul itself is then profusely rooted in the vastness of God and his kingdom. And all else within us is enlivened and directed by that stream. Therefore, we are in harmony with God, reality, and the rest of human nature and nature at large. You know, I once heard a story It's called The Legend of the Keeper of the Stream. And I think this might go back to the Swiss Alps hundreds of years ago, where evidently they would hire someone in the village to keep the stream, to care for the stream of water that really was the source of life for that village. And so that person's whole job was keep the stream clean, remove branches. Uh, If there's a dead animal, make sure you take it out. Just keep that stream and what flows into it pure. Well, according to this legend, there was one village that the town council decided they wanted to make some cuts and that they didn't need a keeper anymore. So they sent this person away. We're like, we don't need your job. You know, we'll be fine. Well, as you can guess, within a few years, twigs and branches muddied the water, mud and silt compacted the creek bed, uh, farm waste polluted it. And it wasn't long before people in that village, although they didn't notice at first, in time, people started to get sick. Nature was impacted. The birds started to fly away. You see, your soul is like that stream. And God has called us to be keepers of our soul, to care for our soul. In fact, Jesus put it this way in Mark chapter 8. He said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and let use your soul? Or 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23 says, may your whole spirit, soul, 
and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or I love this one, Proverbs 4.23. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Now, when we look at our lives right now, if we're honest, there is so much that is attacking our souls. There's so much that is coming against the health of our soul. There's so much that is polluting our soul. I mean, just at the top of the list, I think we could talk about the pressures of our busy, frenetic, anxious lives. The Washington Post, they recently said that we are, quote, the busiest generation ever. We're distracted, overwhelmed, constantly moving, juggling work, drama at home, paying bills, fixing cars, changing diapers. I mean, on and on the list goes, not to mention how much time we spend on our iPhones. In fact, it was Blaise Pascal who said, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Now, Blaise Pascal, he said that hundreds of years ago, and I think how prophetic that is. It's like we have this inability to sit quietly. Our brains have been Googled. It's almost impossible sometimes to even pick up a book and read. It's like we're not slowing down long enough to give our souls room to breathe. And and on top of this, we all face the pressures of sin and temptation that kills our soul, that robs our soul of joy and and strength. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, abstain from sin. Why? He said they wage war against your soul. This is why the Bible says to flee from sin, run from sin, not because God is trying to reign on our parade, but because God wants your soul to flourish. He wants your soul to thrive. We also face the pressures of spiritual attack. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, the Bible tells us you may as well paint a large uh, target on your chest because the enemy wants to take you out. He's working overtime right now to destroy homes and to corrupt our thought life and destroy relationships and marriages and churches. One author, he said, Christianity isn't a playground, it's a battleground. We live in a war zone and the enemy is relentless. He's come to steal and kill and destroy. You see, our souls are under siege by spiritual attack, by temptation, by our own busy, distracted lives. And then on top of all that, we have the pressures of a materialistic culture that's trying to destroy our soul. I mean, we live in a time where we're told that we're nothing more than our physical bodies. And what's the implication of that? Well, if that's your guiding ethos as a culture, then ultimately what matters in that culture isn't your soul, it's the superficial right? We live in a time where it's all about how you look and the clothes you wear, the car you drive, how many followers you have. I mean, everything is curated around having the perfect image. And when that is your focus, again, what does it do to your soul? It suffocates it. 
couple of years ago, I ran across an article that was put out by ABC News. And they did this whole piece on a, on a young woman who her whole goal was to be Insta-famous. And she curated her whole life to be an Instagram star and influencer. And so what she did is she moved to New York. She spent tons of money on designer handbags and shopping sprees. And, you know, she's posting all this because she wanted people to say, look, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a famous influencer now. And sure, she got 13,000 followers, but it left her thousands and thousands of dollars in debt. And the ABC News is writing this piece about her and what she went through and how one day she finally woke up and she's like, this is dumb. What am I, what am I doing? My, my soul isn't healthy. This life doesn't reflect the real me. And so they interviewed her and she said this. She said, I had all this pressure to fit a mold. I wanted to live the sex in the city dream, but it left me in debt and discouraged. Again, I think of what Jesus said. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but loses his soul? Aristotle, he said, so we've gone from sex in the city to Aristotle now. Um, he said, there, there are three things that should motivate us. Truth, morality, and lastly, he said, influence. But in our culture, in our time, we've switched that. It's all about influence, isn't it? Then morality, then truth comes last. We live in a post-truth culture. Is it any wonder that our souls feel broken? So we face the pressures of culture, sin, busyness, spiritual attack, and these things war against our soul. They wear us down. And I share all that because, again, if we don't take time to address the deepest part of us, the part of you that really, really matters, your soul, it's only going to lead to disillusionment, burnout, resentment, depression, anxiety, a lack of purpose. You know, Kierkegaard, he, he's a Danish philosopher. He, he once wrote in his journal, the thing is to understand myself, to see what God really wants me to do. The thing is to find a truth which is true for me, to find the idea for which I can live and die. In other words, he's saying, look, having that sense of purpose for your soul makes all the difference. Dostoevsky, the Russian novelist, he said basically the same thing. He said, the mystery of human existence lies not just in staying alive, but in finding something to live for. We all know in our soul <laughs> that our soul needs to be cared for. We know that God has given us a purpose for our soul that goes way beyond what culture is telling us our purpose is. We all want to not just survive, we want to thrive, we want to flourish. We, we don't just want to live. We want to live for something. And yet, here is the tragedy. And honestly, it's one of the reasons why I wrote my new book. Because 
We're surrounded by so many people who don't have that sense of purpose, who don't know how to care for their soul. In fact, according to a report from the American Psychological Association, Americans are the unhappiest they've been in 50 years. 65% of Americans feel that the last few years has sent them into a crisis of identity. 68% feel defeated. 61% feel alone. And this one's so tragic. 48% of Americans feel hopeless. We live in a time when our souls are on a sink. Our souls are exhausted. And we need to know how they can flourish again. There's a poet, his name is Alexander Pushkin. And I think even though he wrote this many, many years ago, it summarizes perfectly this moment that we live in. And these words are really hard to hear. He said, I have outlasted all desire. My dreams and I have grown apart. My grief alone is left entire, the gleamings of an empty heart. The storms of ruthless dispensation have struck my flowery garland numb. I live in lonely desolation and wonder when my end will come. What a perfect, heartbreaking description of what a soulless experience looks like. And you can hear in that poem a sense of conflict, right? He has dreams and desires on one hand. He has a soul that's screaming for purpose, but it's juxtaposed with a crushing sense of disenchantment that things haven't worked out how he hoped. So his only recourse is to live wondering, when will the end come? If you've ever read The Myth of Sisyphus, it's um, by the existentialist philosopher, his name is Albert Camus. He's an atheistic thinker who basically makes the argument that in a godless universe, in a soulless universe, existence itself is absurd. In fact, he called it absurdism. He said, look, we want to find meaning in things, but meaning is nowhere to be found. He argued, we're just like Sisyphus in the Greek myth. Remember Sisyphus? He was cursed by the gods. And so he had to spend his entire life rolling a boulder up a hill only to see that boulder roll inevitably back down. And so Sisyphus has to come back down, grab the boulder, push it back up the hill, and then it rolls back again over and over and over again. Albert Camus would call that absurdism. Or we could say that's what existence would look like if we have no soul. If it's all about the external, if it's all about material, if it's all about secularism, if it's all about materialism, then of course we're going to be in that space where our soul is suffocating. What a numbing, monotonous, meaningless way to live. But is that God's dream for our life? Is that why we're here? Are we just cogs in a machine, no purpose, no value, no meaning, destined to push up rocks until we push up daisies? The Bible would answer that question with a resounding no. We have purpose. We have meaning. You have a soul. It's like the story of that deaf man who many years ago, walked into a village square. And when he walked in, there was a violinist who was playing beautifully. And 
All these villagers had come out. They're swept up in the moment. They're dancing and moving and swaying as this violinist is filling the atmosphere with this beautiful melodic sound. But the problem was the deaf man, of course, couldn't hear. He had never heard a violinist in his life. And he stares at these people who are dancing and he's bewildered. He's like, what are they doing? And finally, he walked away deciding that they were all deluded. You see, we're handed two scripts in life. One says there is no meaning, and that's secularism. That's the moment we're in. We're told, look, you have no soul. All of this is an accident. And by the way, you're just an accident too. But Jesus gives us another script. Jesus says, your life does have meaning. You have a soul. And everything about who you are, the breath in your lungs, the heart pounding in your chest, your tears, fears, dreams, your nefesh matters. And your soul is the most vital, important thing about you. Because as I said, if your soul is healthy, Nothing you go through can destroy you. But if your soul is unhealthy, nothing you go through can heal you. The health of your soul shapes the outcome of your life. So how can we have a healthy soul? How can we have our inner life flourish no matter what's going on around us? No matter the chaos, the pain, the heartache, no matter the pressures of culture, no matter how busy we are, no matter what temptation we face, how can our soul be healthy? That is the question that I want to explore in this season of pursuing faith. And next week, we'll start to dig into this even more. But until then, brothers and sisters, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.